Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And happy Friday to you. Thanks for joining the Ron Show. Whether you're listening on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, now on demand on Progressive Voices Network, or wherever you podcast. So I'm going to be honest with you. I've said this a couple of times before. It's not easy to sometimes sit there and watch how the sausage is made. And by that, I mean to literally sit in General Assembly sessions, subcommittee hearings, et cetera, and so on, and watch how lawmakers go back and forth, bantering, debating, uh, nuancing language to see how a bill becomes a law. And one of the heroes that sits in a lot of these uh, open floor sessions and subcommittee hearings is Marissa Pyle, who is an organizer, registered lobbyist, and formerly with Verified Action. Marissa Pyle joining us this morning. Thank you so much. I appreciate you getting up early and having to talk with us today. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a legislative day, so I have a bit more time. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I know you probably thought, oh, I get to sleep it. No, not so much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate you grabbing a cup of coffee and joining us for a conversation today. There's been a lot to take in. And and, and first thing uh, I, I want to discuss with you, we were talking just before we uh, went on the air here about why you do this. And, and, and you do this because it's really difficult to access uh, as you mentioned, the live stream, I, I found it really difficult to grab audio. I mean, I, I found the YouTube channels and I use the YouTube channels for audio a lot. Uh, I, I complain oftentimes to the Georgia Democratic Party how hard it is to find their press conferences, audio and video, and sometimes how poor that quality is. In general, it's just not easy for the average Georgian to access uh, this information and get a full breadth and scope of the debate that goes on back and forth. And so there you are in these sessions and subcommittee hearings, giving us a uh, blow by blow detail uh, for anyone who follows you on Twitter. Thank you so much for that. It's so insightful. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it is, I, I, as somebody who doesn't work primarily on a lot of the issues that, uh, that are, you know, kind of the main characters in session this year, mm. um, I a figure it's the least I can do because there's folks putting in, you know, honestly, like 10 to 20 hour days. Um, but I mean, also, yeah, the Capitol is a horribly inaccessible building in, in terms of, you know, if you're a regular human trying to figure out what's going on, mm. it happens during the day. Um, the website isn't the easiest to navigate. It's also, you know, kind of just intimidating for somebody to think, oh, I'm going to go down to the state Capitol and figure out what's going on. Um, so yeah, just, you know, uh, it's, it's good to have, you know, accessible information about what is, <laughs> what's going on down there. And you've been doing this for how many years now? Just give us a little background. Um, so I have been working in the General Assembly in some form or fashion. This will be my seventh session. Mm. Uh, so I am, I'm very familiar with that building at this point. Yeah. So I've I've lived in Georgia most of my life. I grew up uh, just outside Augusta, traveled around the South working in radio broadcasting, came back here in 2018, really started following politics again from, uh, you know, a, a closer look uh, in the last two years. And it, I can't speak to the degradation uh, that seems to be the, the swirling down the drain of the discourse, uh, particularly from the right. But it, it seems as if there is a, oh, yeah, well, let me show you. Uh, sort of mindset when it comes to some of the red meat that's coming from uh, Republican lawmakers. I mean, just this week, I, I 
again, from following you on Twitter and, and then, uh, you know, looking back on the YouTube uh, subcommittee uh, video, just to see the, the, the degradation, just the, 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 the redder meat that gets lobbed out onto the General Assembly grill to placate, I don't know who, but uh, we're, we're, we were dealing with nuance in library books. And, and now, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I worry for li- librarians who, who might accidentally have the wrong book on a shelf. Uh, sp- speak to some of this uh, over the course of your seven years having covered uh, the General Assembly. Yeah, um, the way I think about the General Assembly is every year there is kind of like a main character issue. Mm. Um, Your job and your hope as a lobbyist is that yours is never that one uh, because it's just going to suck. Um, I will say I I don't know necessarily if this is hopeful or pessimistic. Um, I don't necessarily think that it has gotten substantively worse. Okay. I think the issues change and, and, you know, they always have Um, the last few years, I think have felt particularly brutal because they have been dealing with so much of the really terrible political discourse around like the rights of and humanity of trans children. Right. Um, And so the issues themselves can be more brutal, but I mean, if you go back to 2014, it was uh, immigration and um, there were some incredibly horrible um, immigration bills and uh, attempts to, you know, force counties to cooperate with ICE that had some really devastating consequences. And so, I mean, there is the truth that, you know, in a lot of in a lot of federal election years, um, you know, these folks cannot fundraise during session. And mm. so uh in in years where they are up for election, particularly if they have a primary in their state or in their state district, um, they are going to try to pick an issue that is sexy and appealing to their base, um, make a big fuss over it, and it just changes what those issues are from year to year. Um, I do think that you know the national discourse from the uh, from from the very extreme right which is largely the mainstream um, of, you know, the, the humanity of, of trans and queer people, um, these, these book bans and school censorship bills. Um, and, you know, in, in my line of work, um, election denial, the big lie, election conspiracies has very much taken grip, but I don't necessarily think it's, you know, it's, I don't, I don't see it as gotten as having gotten substantively worse. And mm. I don't know if that's for better or for worse. <laughs> We're with Marissa Pyle. She is an organizer, registered lobbyist, formerly with Verified Action. And she has been sitting inside so many of these subcommittee hearings and live tweeting for us. Uh, and, and as we, you said off the air, sometimes out of spite, just, just so that folks can actually uh, glean what's going on inside uh, these sessions uh, and, and out of spite, I guess, just to, to let Republicans or, or anyone who's uh, going in there with some nefarious intent know that this isn't going to go unwatched. I do appreciate you doing that. So yesterday, the uh, the Republican, the, the, the religious freedom, give us the latest incarnation of this religious freedom. I feel like we've had one of these bills uh, come to the floor for the last three years. How, what, what, what? I'm trying to understand what freedom doesn't exist for religion already that we keep trying to legislate this into existence. Yeah, this is, um, this is a blast from the past. Um, anybody, 
honestly, even if you don't pay that close attention to politics, you'll probably remember things like um, in Indiana, a few years back, they passed a religious freedom, quote unquote, law, I think actually under Mike Pence when he was still governor um, that, you know, caused a bunch of companies to threaten a boycott that has happened in Georgia. It's the same law. Uh, It's the same proposal. Uh, It has this has been happening since before gay marriage was uh, federally legalized uh, from the Supreme Court. Mm. It is I I don't know why they've brought it back again. Um, It seems kind of retro in terms of the homophobia (laughs) that comes up from from the state capitol. Um, But essentially, um, it is it's very benignly written bill. It's three pages. Uh, It's one of those mundane evils that you really have to look into how it is put into effect, um, the constitutional implications of it. But in effect, there are bills that have been uh, passed into law in the, I I think, verbatim language in South Carolina and very similar in Texas. Um, And the effect of that, which the ACLU of Georgia brought up yesterday, has been in South Carolina. there were there was a uh, an evangelical adoption agency that used the law to uh, refuse to adopt children mm. to uh, I, I believe queer people and also mm. Jewish families. Mm. No, uh, of which first of all I am both, which brings the spite <laughs> tweeting into it. Um, <laughs> and then in Texas, uh, it was used to um, to 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 slow the distribution of HIV education and medication. So. I mean, in effect, it's one of those things that can be presented fine. Um, Ed Setzler, good at presenting things for a long time that sound kind of benign until you research who Ed Setzler is. Mm. Um, he is the main sponsor. Um, but when you look into the effects of this, it is a license to discriminate legislation. There is really no motivation underlying that except for um for companies to be able to opt out of civil rights to a degree mm. well you brought up ed setzler and, and, and was it him that i heard was it yesterday or the day before who wanted to push back on the notion that he is homophobic i think i think he, he felt a little cornered in some respects uh and I, I gave uh, uh, Senator Elena Parent a, a tweet, a uh, text, and, and told her how much I appreciated the fact that she was standing up for LGBTQIA plus youth. And it felt like Ed uh, took offense to being somewhat labeled homophobic. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the very it's it's the interesting reality of working in that building where you have people, you know, there are over a thousand bills that are pushed every biennial legislative session. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there's plenty that are completely mundane. Um, there's plenty that are bipartisan. Um, and people use that as an excuse to say like, Oh, I push other bills. When I, when I bring this bill about, for example, censoring the existence of gay people in library books, um, that, that doesn't make me a bad person. Um, (laughs) and, it is somewhat complex because when you work in the legislature, you do have to, I mean, there's no way you get out of working with people you disagree with. You mm-hmm. have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I, I do think that it is good to have a clear view uh, of cutting through that narrative and, and saying like, if you are, if you are sponsoring a bill that 
you know, among other things, uh, would prevent trans people from going to the bathroom or, you know, try to put librarians in jail or try to uh, make homophobia more legal. I do think that objectively makes you a bad person. I think that's an uncomfortable decision to have. I, I, I think that it's a discussion they'd very much like not to have. Um, and I think it's a touchy issue for them because they like being able to sleep at night. Uh, but I do think it's important to point that out because, you know, there's, there's, you know, talking about recess and sports betting and all of these less tangible issues that come up. Um, and then there's, you know, bills that are like, I don't think gay people are human. Um, and they're not quite on the same level, morally speaking. <laughs> We're with Marissa Pyle, who is a registered lobbyist and organizer and formerly with Fair Fight Action. I'm going to take a quick break and pick up with that conversation right where we left off on the Ron Show, the America One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Thank you for listening. We're with Marissa Pyle, organizer, registered lobbyist, formerly with Fair Fight Action. And we were sitting here talking about some of the... Uh, pseudo or overt homophobic legislation that is making its way through uh, both the House and the Senate in the Georgia General Assembly this session. There was actually a, a, a robust discussion a, a couple of days ago in the Education and Youth Subcommittee that you bore witness to about even just the inclusion of the word homosexuality amongst a list of sex acts when it comes to uh, what books can and can't be included in school libraries. We just saw a school teacher who has gone through the rigors of trying to keep her job in Cobb County at an elementary school, lose her job, and all, you know fought her all the way to the Georgia Supreme Court. They uh, adjudicated this week that they were right to fire her over a book that actually doesn't even mention homosexuality or sex acts, because of course she taught fifth grade, and why would she bring a book like that into the, into the uh, curriculum? But Speak to that back and forth about just the inclusion of the word homosexuality. And by the way, you're talking to a gay male yourself, and I know you mentioned yourself, uh, you know, uh, being LGBTQIA plus as well. And and how offensive that is just to list the word as uh, amongst a list of sex acts. Yeah, it is this idea that we've seen, honestly, for three years plus running, of the idea that somehow people who are not cis and straight their existence is somehow explicit. We've seen that with the rise of, uh, you know, the school censorship and and library censorship bills, curriculum censorship. Um, Mm -hmm. And now with these library bills that have come up again, uh, this bill was actually the the bill that was um, talked about this week, SB 154, was brought up last session and actually was too extreme because they were like, we don't think we should throw librarians in jail. That goes a bit too far. (laughs) Um, And so they didn't act on it. Um, But they have decided that it's fine for this year. Um, But I mean, what it what it essentially does and what a series of people were all straight men uh, pretending that it did not do and trying to emphatically say that it did not do Mm. is it defines homosexuality in general as sexually explicit content right and exactly what we've seen is you know things like in cobb county um and shout out to the southern poverty law center who has filed suit on behalf of that teacher um to challenge that law because what it comes down to is uh people who have an interest in maintaining the white cis straight system of power of social currency Mm. and of social control um, trying to 
essentially censor other people out of existence and marginalize them to a degree that we have seen really horrifically this week in Oklahoma is deadly. Obviously, I can't I can't directly say like, you know, Ed Setzler, Clint Dixon, um, you know, want what happened in Oklahoma um, with Next Benedict. What I can say is the people who are pushing these bills, that is their end goal. Um, and I, I think it is important to be clear eyed about the fact that when you are, you know, defining homosexuality, the existence of trans people, the existence of queer people is somehow explicit. What that ends up doing is, you know, saying those people should not exist in our society. And that is an idea that is inherently very violent. Now, you, you, you brought up the Oklahoma case. We haven't really covered this on the show that much, but uh, next Benedict was an Oklahoma teen who uh, died a day after being involved in a fight that broke out in a high school bathroom. Next was 16 years old, non-binary, and... <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to say exactly what happened at this juncture, but the details we do know are I, I horrifying of uh, a 16-year-old non-binary teenager was uh, involved in a fight where, according to their parents, their head was beaten against the floor, and the God. next day they died in the hospital. Right. Um, and the school did not call an ambulance, and it is in a state where the Secretary of Education has said that trans people are uh, a, a threat to, you know, children, and uh, appointed Chirachik from at lips of TikTok mm -hmm. um, to the education board in the state. And so, I mean, I, I think it's a very clear case of no matter what happened um, in terms of direct acts, this kind of ideology that is being pushed um, in that in, in Oklahoma very directly, but, you know, in bills much more mundanely um, is deadly and violent and has violent consequences. Right. Um, and there are degrees of awareness that people have when they push that legislation. I think some people intend it more than others. Um, but the end result is that legislation that defines social groups or members of or, or just people as unacceptable and dangerous right. and harmful to children. What that ends up doing is it it is violent. Again, this goes back to just our very existence and, and, and ability to exist and in, in in society, it seems uh, threatening to some who like to call just our existence, like you or I, if we were dating someone, God willing, if I were dating someone, uh, you know, the ability to hold someone's hand in public, you know, that the, the old refrain, well, I wish they wouldn't shove it in our faces. This this feels like uh, a, 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 an, a, an attempt to codify that mindset into law that... Just the existence uh, in a book, for example, in a school library of a same-sex couple, whether it be two penguins taking care of a baby penguin who happen to be of the same gender, that that seems to be what, what seems to be getting etched into stone here, does it not? Yeah, and I think that's the end goal. Um, I also realize that that sounds, that sounds very dark and threatening um, and uh, fairly pessimistic, and so I do, I do think it's also worth mentioning that the reason they are pushing this so hard is that they see they're losing that narrative fight. Mm. Um, because I, I mean, you, 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 you can ban, you can ban, you know, the gays from the books in the high school library. It will not stop 
your child from eventually realizing who they are as a person um, because they exist within society. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, I do, I do think that it is, you know, it is, it's backlash based politics. Um, they're scared of, and I say they in terms of anyone who thinks like this or is pushing these bills or, or is pushing, you know, the heritage foundations of the world. They are scared because they are seeing themselves lose their grip on being able to define what's acceptable in society. And so they're trying to claw it back at any cost. Um, and it's, it's scary and awful and traumatic in the short term. But I do also want to clarify that in the long term, it is because they are losing and will lose. We are with Marissa Pyle. She is formerly with Fair Fight Action, organizer and registered lobbyist. Been doing the hard work and following all that's going on inside the Georgia General Assembly for us. We'll pick up this discussion and talk about voter sentiment on the left going into the 2024 cycle. When we return here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. Welcome back and thank you for listening on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. On demand on the Progressive Voices Network app, we're grateful to have, uh, have them uh, include us and wherever you podcast, if that's how you listen. We are with Marissa Pyle, who is an organizer, a registered lobbyist, and formerly with Fair Fight Action, joining us for a robust conversation on uh, things going on underneath the Gold Dome uh, this legislative session. And uh, we focused a, a good bit on uh, religious freedom bills and uh, overt or subtle Attempt to weave homophobia into some uh, some some law, in, in particular uh, school book bans. That's been a, a robust topic for the right here in the last couple of years. Uh, you you hear inferences of grooming in a lot of uh, legislation, and and that's that's to me is the most troubling part, Marissa. That uh, there is this push, particularly from the conservative right, to be ginning up fear of grooming. Again, just being in existence near young people seems to be an affront to them and an effort to groom kids on our part to become LGBTQI plus something I would tell anyone, uh, listen, this, this ain't for the faint of heart. I wouldn't wish this on kids. Uh, I happen to have uh, a nephew who is 22 years old and he came out uh, seven, eight years ago and on my ex-husband's side of the family, who, you know, they happen to be evangelical. And so we kind of felt a little awkward about even that. Did our, did, do they think that just our existence as a same-sex couple had anything to do with that? And I'm grateful that at least I, you know, had married into a family that had some issues accepting homosexuality early on, but came to, uh, you know, accept us as a loving couple and uh, as having the right to be such without reacting in such a way. But it's not that easy for everybody else. There are people who literally think that just our existence and our ability to say this is who we are, whether it, it, you see this with, with the pronouns, the, the, the mocking of the pronouns. Uh, and listen, I'm 50 years old. That's something that I've had to get used to, even as a gay male. But speak, speak to the, the, the grooming. You hear so much of that word, and it just it, it makes me bristle every time I hear a cis white male conservative politician bring it up while they're not all the by the way looking into their own corner where there seems to be a lot of grooming going on and actual acts of sexual uh, assault or you know molestation or anything like that that goes on inside their churches yeah um 
it's a it's a fun new way uh, to try to <laughs> to try to do homophobia. Uh, it's really exciting. I will say, uh, you know, I, I I grew up in a very accepting family, but I grew up in rural North Georgia, um, which is I, I think the most conservative congressional district in the state. Mm. Um, if 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 any kind of sexuality was contagious, I would be straight. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I it it did not work. Yeah, I tried it for a couple of years myself. Some Oscar-winning performances didn't take. Yeah, it it, it didn't stick. Um, I mean, it's 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 the same. It's the new iteration of you know, it's contagious. It's they're coming for your children. Um, it is obviously more pervasive because it, it, and it. I think it's more dangerous because of the ways that it you know that language is tied to pedophilia and. Mm-hmm. Um, that gets back to, you know, the, 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 the dog whistles to QAnon and, um, that whole side of the movement. Um, but I mean, I think it is, it's, it's same stuff, new label. Yeah. Um, they've, they've tried to trot out, you know, a few groups that are, that are astroturfed by the right wing of like, you know, gays for transphobia, um, and it is reminiscent of uh, the age-old Twitter meme of like, I never thought the leopards would eat my face. Said the woman who voted for the leopards eating people's faces right, party. Of like, right. they will come for you too. Yeah, yeah. Tree, um, uh, what is it? Trees for chainsaws. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that like that the language is very alarming. I think it's 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 also, you know, we're seeing it really contend with like the full internet. I think for the first time. Um, and you know the abilities of internet mobs to really do a lot of harm uh at the same time i do think especially in georgia you know there's a really incredible crew of folks pushing back um that is really nice like one of one of the things that is very good about being in the state capitol is you see all of these people trying to do appalling and terrible things Mm. but you also see everybody who is trying to stop them right (laughs) um and that is i mean that is frankly pretty heroic especially for things like this um i'm thinking of you know folks with uh southern poverty law center interdevelopmental research association um the parents and and people who come down just like out of their day yes to to try and work on this georgia youth justice coalition which is children um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so i mean i will say that you know the group's we have a majority, a Republican majority in both houses. Um, the de- the degree to which we are able to stop and mitigate any of this stuff when they should be able to just pass it completely um, is entirely due to those people. And it is heroic. Um, and so that is that's the other nice thing that you do get to see, like on, when you when you're there every single day. We're with registered lobbyist, organizer, formerly with Fair Fight Action, Marissa Pyle, joining us. And Marissa has been doing the yeoman's work reporting and live tweeting from uh, the Georgia General Assembly throughout the legislative session for us and has been doing so for more than seven years. And we thank you for that. Uh, listen, I think you're uniquely qualified to take this pivot. Um, there uh, was and has been for a couple of years now a, a push for uh, passing anti-Semitic um, or lang- language or, or bills to denounce and renounce anti-Semitism. So you being Jewish and queer, I want to get your take on the interesting point in time that we live in where we have legislation that seems to be uh, anti-trans, anti-gay in some measure, and yet at the same time, uh, especially after October 7th of last year, the Hamas attack in Israel, 
this this fawning sweep to to to, to embrace uh, you know legislation that denounces anti-Semitism. Do you note the irony in that? Uh, I think it's irony. I think it's also convenient. Um, it intersects with a lot of evangelical goals that are in and of themselves quite anti-Semitic, if you sure. actually scratch the surface. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, there's the idea that, you know, we need to protect the Jews because for the revelation to happen for, for the, for the, uh, for, for the end of the world, all the Jews need to go to Israel and die. Yeah. And we can't stop yeah. that from happening. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, personally, I, I find that to be quite anti-Semitic. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> I, I personally, I mean, I'm, I'm Jewish. I grew up jo- Jewish in, uh, very not Jewish area. Um, <laughs> you know, I've I've been asked where my horns are from kids in school who like they didn't mean it any type of way. They were just raised to believe Jewish people had horns and they were genuinely curious because like if you hear somebody has horns, you're gonna ask to see them. Mm. Um and so I do find it ironic. I also think that you know the legislation that passed isn't about protecting Jewish people because um, there was harm done to Jewish people during it. Mm. Um, so you know, I do, I do think things like that are a devil's bargain, and you know, you see that also when they turn around and then they're like, "Let's go after the queers." <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You got to take, you got to take one, uh, one marginalized community off the uh, off the list of targets and focus your ire on the next again it's it's a matter of you know first they came after, uh, first they came for those folks and i ignored them and so on and so on uh your work with fair fight action uh, uh came to mind when i saw this headline that uh, uh that uh, georgia's republican senators uh voted to end automatic voter registration um can can you explain what is the rationale behind uh ending automatic voter registration is it just that it's such a burden on the secretary of state's office to take people off the voter rolls which they shouldn't be doing anyway um i would first of all like to clarify that that hearing happened at 7 30 in the morning and that that should not be i i hate those um yeah yeah i hated those classes back at uga at 7 52 so i get what you're saying yeah those those should not happen right um but yeah so what happened yesterday um I do, I do want to be clear, like that was just a committee vote. Um, it will have to go to the Senate and the House committee and to the House and then the governor for signature. And the governor's top aides have already started saying, we think this is a terrible idea. So I don't think it has, okay. I don't think it has a bright future. Um, but it is, it's, it is emblematic of the war within the Republican Party of the people who are like, you know, we do actually need Republicans to turn out and vote for us in order to win elections. Mm. And the people who have very much been radicalized into this big lie, election denial, election conspiracy um, strain of thought that we have seen permeate and to some degree grow since the 2020 election. Um, and those folks, you know, are convinced that any number of malicious things are happening because, you know, you can register to vote when you get your driver's license. And so they brought this bill, senators, which are, you know, they have to deal with a lot of different issues. They're not always experts on the issues that they write bills about. Mm-hmm. Um, then brought this bill. Uh, the secretary of state uh, had their general counsel and their elections director at the hearing yesterday and fairly succinctly told them that they thought it was a terrible idea. Mm. 
um, and then they passed it out of committee. Uh, so I, I, it is, it's another, um, I mean, you have a, you had a fake elector testify in support of it. Uh, right. You have a fake elector as the lieutenant governor. Right. Um, it is, it is the war within the party between, you know, the base, which is still trying to decertify the 2020 election and the people that can actually win elections and realize, you know, we need these things because we need voters. <laughs> The thing about this subcommittee hearing that I thought was pretty notable was that uh, this is just another example. And you've sat through a lot of these subcommittee hearings where expert after expert after expert are brought in to explain a situation from their educated and knowledgeable point of view. And Republicans vote the exact opposite because, well, they just feel differently. That That is so frustrating to watch. It doesn't particularly get less frustrating. I will say that. Um <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you had, you had any number of, of voting rights organizations that were prepared to testify. You had the secretary of state saying, Hey, um, this is going to cost us a lot of money. It's going to get us sued. And it also violates federal law. Um, and hello, they're Republicans. I mean, come on. Can you not agree with your own people? Yes. I don't often find myself on the same side as the Georgia secretary of state. Um, generally we have a plaintiff defendant relationship, (laughs) right? Um, and so, I mean, things like that are, are, it's, it's a unique situation that has started arising because, Mm. um, yeah, then you had people going and saying like, you know, we need to stop the fraud. Um, (laughs) and I mean, the, 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 their inherent problem is that those people who are the loudest are also, you know, their primary voters. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, and so it is. I, I don't I don't to some degree envy being a Republican because you have to try to satisfy both of those people and you cannot. Well, it's a, it's a self-perpetuating issue where they, they keep making their base angry with nonsense and the base buys the nonsense and wants to push it a step further because they're even less educated on the issue than the politician that's trying to anger the base with the nonsense. It's it's why we have the existence of, I, I call Donald Trump the, the Godzilla of the GOP, because the toxic ooze that emanated down into the water that created Godzilla in the you know fiction uh, is no different than what the GOP and their conservative media allies have been doing on talk radio and Fox News and now Newsmax and OANN for decades now. And, and Donald Trump just happened to be that one well-connected, wealthy or celebrity, wealthy type you know person who bought the same stuff the crazy uncle that shows up at Thanksgiving does, but he's actually got the connections to run for office. Yes, it's very much like, oh, no, the consequences of my actions. Um, I I think the most frustrating session I've been through is probably the 2021 legislative session, because that was when SB 202 and voting rights was the main character. Um, And that was not pleasant. Um, But one of the things that we told Republicans repeatedly, and it is very clearly a lesson that they have not learned and by we, I mean anyone who does any form of voting rights, lobbying, advocacy, is that if you give people who believe in this disinformation, in these conspiracy theories, if you placate them by giving them, you know, one thing, it will not work. They will keep asking for more. Yeah. And the Republicans yeah. essentially went, that's cute. We're going to try it. <laughs> It, it hasn't worked every single session and every single hearing 
the folks who are really persistent in the election denial space are back asking for another thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And rather than stand up to them, which is scary and slightly inconvenient, um, Republicans have decided that they are just going to try to, if you give a Musa muffin them, and just like give them (laughs) one more cookie each legislative session to the detriment of our democracy as a whole. And you know what? That's a, a perfect pivot point for us to pick up on this conversation because I know you, through your work with Verified Action and through other grassroots organizations, have been working to get folks involved in voting, getting them on voter rolls. And yet in this 2024 cycle, it seems like we've got two parties who are fighting to sour their base on participating this cycle more. And those of us who are really concerned about the outcome of the 2024 election cycle are holding our breaths wondering Who's going to create the most self-inflicted damage when it's all said and done? We're with Marissa Pyle, formerly with Fair Fight Action, registered lobbyist and organizer. More of this conversation when we return on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, on demand on Progressive Voices Network, or wherever you podcast. All right, just a few more minutes with Marissa Pyle. Thank you for joining me today, by the way. Today is my 50th birthday, and I've been wanting to get Marissa on my show for a while, so I feel like I've given myself a little bit of a birthday gift. And Marissa, thank you for gift wrapping that for me. I appreciate that. He's a registered lobbyist and organizer formerly with Fair Fight Action. I actually want to uh, tap into your Fair Fight Action history just a little bit because I know that uh, the, the, the hard work behind Fair Fight Action was uh, voter enfranchisement, getting folks on voter rolls and showing up to vote and understanding uh, their rights as voters. And we're heading into an election cycle where there, there's a, there are a lot of reasons for the hyper activists, particularly on the left, to decide they want to sit out. Can you speak to how difficult it may be for grassroots organizers to rally folks to the polls in November with all that's going on, specifically here in Georgia? You've got the the, the cop city measure, which has really uh, ticked off a lot of grassroots organizers in and around metro Atlanta and throughout the state. You've got the uh, Israel-Gaza situation where, and, and, and again, you, you can speak from a, a Jewish person's perspective, but one who actually uh, has empathy for the folks in Gaza. There are a lot of reasons for folks to say, no, I can't do it this time. Uh, can, can you speak to that climate and how difficult it may be for Democrats who are on the ballot this cycle? I think it's always very difficult to predict how um, how election cycles are going to go. At this point in 2020, there wasn't a pandemic. Mm. So I don't think anyone could have seen how that was going to go. That's true. I think it has been very clear to really anyone who is a warm body for a while that it is going to be a rematch between Trump and Biden. Mm. And I will say personally, separate from, you know, any of any of my work with Fair Fight Action or or anything else, it has been very disheartening to essentially, um, in my view, see Biden do everything he can to lose his core voting base <laughs> in advance of, of this election. Um, obviously, we're only two months in. So again, I'm not going to try to predict anything because I simply cannot do that. Right. (laughs) But I will say that in Georgia specifically, I think it is always very important for politicians to remember that they do not win elections. And I think it is very easy as a politician to think that you win elections, that it's, you know, just you, just your campaign. And it is not. Yeah. Extrapolate on that for me. I mean, in Georgia, particularly what has happened over the last really 10 to 15 years is that Georgia's organizational coalition, Mm. um, folks like Black Voters Matter, New Georgia Project, 
CASA, folks who do, you know, care in action, all sorts of people who do voter mobilization, Working Families Party. Georgia Equality. Yeah, they have been doing the work to, you know, build this electorate that flipped the state. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very easy, I think, for candidates to think that they did that. They did not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It has been the long-term work that these organizations um, and coalitions have done. And we're also in a very interesting situation in Georgia where a lot of candidates federally are putting themselves at odds with those organizations. I in in Atlanta with the with the Cop City referendum, um, Andre Dickens is a surrogate for Joe Biden. Yep. Working Families Party, New Georgia Project, and others um, are all, you know, partners working on the cop city referendum that Andre Dickens is essentially saying he's going to do a voter suppression for and not put on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's always dangerous in an election year to um, play chicken with insulting your own voters. Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of work to be done. And I also I, I think that, you know, the stakes of this election are horrifying. Yeah. Scary. Uh, very I, much. Yeah, I've grown up in a world where no election has ever not been the most important election of my life. Um, I'm right. quite tired of that. Yeah, I would here. like a boring one. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that the Biden campaign in particular has a lot of work to do. And I hope that they realize that. Um, and I hope that they do do that work in Georgia because the stakes are very real. And Georgia is a state that they absolutely have to win. In order to carry the presidency, and and I think you and I, you know, being Georgians, we both know what an uphill climb that is. I mean, it's we can sit here and talk about, oh, Georgia's a blue state, and no, it's not. It's a purple state, and it might be purple red, and turnout's going to be important. And we can't. I, I personally believe we can't count on the never Trumpers this time because I think as time goes on, we've all kind of gotten used to the insanity of Donald Trump to the point that. You know, after giving Joe Biden a term, and I think a lot of Never Trumpers did, they just, ah, it's just Joe Biden. What's he going to do? And they've seen his accomplishments, and we have to give him credit. There has been a lot that this administration has accomplished despite all the obstacles. And so now those, a lot of those Never Trumpers are like, wait a minute, we can't let them keep accomplishing things because then they're going to get credit for it. We've got to put a stop to this now. And if that means voting for Donald Trump one more time, well, I think a lot are willing to do it. I, I completely agree. I, I think that any time Democrats find them f- find themselves catering to the mystical white moderate, um, they're they're setting themselves up to lose an election in dramatic fashion. Right, especially when they when they uh, ignore the progressive left. They they're looking for independent voters and forget that a lot of folks who are on the progressive left are actually independent voters too. Yes, and also when you're thinking of Georgia specifically, Georgia is a purple state, but we're also a very tired state. Mm. We've had a lot of elections. Uh, you're right. <laughs> um, and, and they have all decided the fate of the country. <laughs> um, and so, you know, just just giving folks, you know, OK, it's time to vote again. Like people are, to some degree, very tired of voting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what is important in Georgia specifically is, you know, saying not only like, you know, you have to vote for this or we're all going to descend into fascism. You have to give people a reason and you have to give people, you know, this is how it is going to make your life better. Um, Because uh, people have heard, you know, there has been at this point, probably billions of dollars in advertising spent in Georgia and people are cynical and tired and also have rent to pay. For real. Um, And so, you know, there's a lot of work to be done 
you know, you can't just talk about national issues. You have to tell people like, you know, here is how Biden is going to help you um, and is going to substantively make your life better. And I sincerely hope that the campaign does that, uh, because if not, uh, we are all going to be in a very dark place. Yeah. For at least four years. Marissa Pyle, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Marissa, a registered lobbyist, organizer, and formerly with Fair Fight Action. Thank you for coming on to The Ron Show today and enjoy your non-legislative off day. What are you planning to do with it? Um, hopefully just um, go outside, touch grass, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, spend less days uh, in, in committee rooms uh, because you. next week is crossover day. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. you know, yeah. just... Breathe fresh air. Good deal. Well, you enjoy that fresh air and and touching of the grass today. I appreciate you joining the Ron Show. Yeah, thank you so much, and happy birthday. Thank you so much. Thanks to my guest today, Marissa Pyle, registered lobbyist, organizer, formerly with Fair Fight Action, and still fighting the good fight nonetheless. All right. If you listen only partially, you can listen to this entirely again, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, and anytime, wherever you podcast. Follow the Ron Show where you do, and I appreciate that. Back on Monday, 9 to 10 a.m. on America One Radio. Have a great weekend.